The Perimeter is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios. Speak Studios. Speak and be heard. The Perimeter with Adam Morrison is brought to you by our official title sponsor, Mercedes-Benz of Spokane. Experience the best or nothing at Mercedes-Benz of Spokane with Dan Crowley and his exceptional team. They're located in beautiful Liberty Lake and his local family-owned dealership under Gee Automotive. Their staff prides itself on a personable and memorable experience from service to sales and will have you leaving the dealership feeling satisfied with a smile on your face all the way down the road. Back-to-back winners of the Best of the Best Civil Laurel Award receive invoice pricing on any new Mercedes-Benz in stock when you come in and mention the Perimeter Podcast. You can check out all their available inventory at SpokaneMercedes.com as well as stay up to date on all things Mercedes-Benz via their Facebook and Instagram pages. Call them at 509-455-9100 to schedule your Mercedes test drive today. The Perimeter brings No Lie Craft Brews onto the podcast. Born and raised in Spokane, USA, No Lie Brewhouse is a hometown and international competitor made here. Their beers have traveled and won medals against the best breweries around the world. Over 46 international brewing medals and counting. They are not content, and they're always pushing forward to peak results. Grab a sixer, and let's get into the podcast. Hey, Brennan here, executive producer of the Perimeter Podcast. First and foremost, I just want to say thank you to everyone who's been listening to The Perimeter with Adam Morrison over the last couple of months. This podcast has been such a delight to help make, and I'm so excited to see where this show goes in the future. I also just want to give a big shout out to everyone who voted for us in Inlanders Best Of. We take great pride in making a podcast for the people of Spokane, the region, and really appreciate all the support you have shown in these last two months. So, without further ado, here is the best of The Perimeter with Adam Morrison. Peace. Welcome to The Perimeter with myself, Adam Morrison. We have the one and only Corey Kispert, now the former Gonzaga basketball player, first team All-American, WCC Player of the Year. So let's go over the final four. Okay, that's what everybody's going to want to talk mm-hmm. about a little bit. And you know, I covered the game, so obviously, I, you know, I was there live. And how, uh, UCLA game, okay, one of the all-time classics. Everybody knows that. Um, you know, play after play after play was made. Um, what do you think was like the biggest play in the game besides Jalen's three? Was it your putback? When was your putback? That was OT. Uh, like two yeah, minutes left to like, go. It was a weak side. You pin the guy on the backside mm-hmm. on the block. It was perfect because mm-hmm. you got All board. Yeah, you snuck got in right at the last minute. Yep, yeah. you got there, or was it Drew's charge was crazy. Yep, to, to have the nuts to do that yep. is, is wild mm-hmm. because it's easy for a ref to just going that way. You know they want to make that call. Yeah, they love it. Or you know they don't call anything. A weird play, guys. A guy falls down. It comes up short, kind of like the OT Truzang. You know what I'm saying? It's just so. There's so many things instead of just trying to wall up and jump. Um, you know. Then I thought Andrews three was fantastic. So what do you think was the biggest like momentum changer in that game? I think honestly, I think it was Drew's charge. Yeah. And the reason I say that is, um, you know, I was standing right there and like we were going to switch. Jalen and I were going to switch a ball screen up top, and Juzang refused it and went the other way. Yeah. And, like I turned around and I mean I looked and there was nobody there. 
<laughs> and, and I saw I saw the back of Ju Zing's jersey, and I was like, "Shit!" shit. Yeah, like it's Fuck. it's we're like we're done. Yep. And um, Drew's been taking charges for us all year long, and uh, the crazy thing about that guy is he's so like he's so loose and like has a bunch of fun on the court, mm-hmm. but he just like just moments like don't get to him. That's part of how his brain yeah. works. And so he just, you know, stepped up and took it and um, people can debate on whether or not it was a charge or so made the right call. Unbi- I try to be as unbiased. Sorry to cut you off, but his feet were above. Mm-hmm. He was in legal guarding position. Mm-hmm. He took it on the chest. I mean, you're che- check mark, check mark, check right. mark. So it absolutely. Just the, it just was the moment that people are like, oh, yeah. you can't call a charge that late yeah, in the game. Can. And I'm like, yes, you can. But yes. Um, I mean, I, 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 that's, I agree. Like everything was like lining up. He got there. He's hands up. Like he was ready to take it. And I, I, I mean, I had a good feeling they were going to call it, but the way that Juzang was playing and the way he was shooting the ball, when I saw the back of his Jersey going to the rack, I was like, we're He's done. Tough like, cover, it's over. Man, that yeah. kid was good. Yeah. I mean, it, yeah, he was just making everything. He's shooting 17 footers and not yeah, nobody the shoots rim. those not in the rim. Yeah. Nobody, nobody shoots those anymore either. Mm-hmm. That's what's crazy. He's a mid range type of kind of an old school player, which sounds funny, but like jab and go and you know pull-ups and, mm-hmm. and you know everybody now is like you know an analytics guy fall out of his chair if he watched him yep. play you know like yep bad shot but so okay so obviously you get into overtime so I, th- I i agree i think drew's i mean andrew's three was it had a lot of stones because would you guys run that 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 early slip play earlier you ran it to drew they scored and then he tried to get it to him they right, guarded they it switched it they mm-hmm. switched it and then he hit the step back mm-hmm. which was because he's shit. Andrew's a good shooter, but he didn't shoot the whole game. No. You know what I'm no. saying? He wasn't – he was in the game, but he wasn't in a rhythm offensively. Mm-hmm. Um, so, obviously, I thought – I was like – when I was calling, I was like, that's ball game. Yeah. You know, here we go. Good mm-hmm. job, UCLA. Thank you for coming. You know, and then they come down and tie it or whatever. Uh, I can't remember the sequences. But – so, you get to overtime. You go to Drew, what, three straight times? Yep, and you get – Scores every single time. I'll get every single time. And that's – that's when I was like, okay, for sure they've shot their wad. It's fucking over with, and they still came back. What they what they hit? Did they hit a three that next sequence? Yeah, we had like a we had like a coverage miscommunication with coach. Um, he wanted us. Did you help on? Did you over help on one it in the corner? Me. Who it wasn't me? But you did that once in the game, mm-hmm. so my bad. No, but no, I was no, you're good. No, that <laughs> happened. Like, that definitely happened to me once or twice. But yeah, no, uh, it happens. A, we had a coverage miscommunication, and we went to go double. And they, they kicked it to fucking Juzang. Yeah. yeah, hit a three. Wide open three. Yeah, and then uh, he um, – and then the next time down, I mean, it just it, – the whole game it felt like, all right, like, we took their best punch. Like, we're going to break this thing open. It's yes. 15, 20 points, no problem. And every single time, like, they just hung around, man. They're like cockroaches. Uh, but, no, I mean and, – and then Drew, I mean, credit to him. He just kept getting bucket after bucket after bucket. And we made a few free throws and um, – yeah, one thing led to another, and then obviously Jalen shot, cut it. So what Drew Zhang, Drew Zhang drives, it's hard to say, multiple times fast, mm-hmm. and misses, gets it back, puts it in. Do you have any inclination in that situation? I know it's in the college game, you can't advance it. Are you thinking timeout there, Corey, because you took it out? Mm-hmm. Are you thinking throw ahead and timeout? Or as Fiwi always told you guys, just get it and go. Uh, I think it's, I mean, it's always been get it and go. And if we have time, call timeout, like yes. at the advanced spot, okay. you know, so like past half court. Um, so I just got it turning through to Jalen and we were like three seconds at that mm-hmm. point. And yeah. so, I mean, if I was the coach, I think coach made the right choice. Just let him go. Yeah. Um, but I was fully, fully prepared to play another five minutes. 
Oh yeah. I mean, absolutely. Yeah. I, I, you know, as a broadcaster, obviously I was sitting there going, I was ready to go, you know, if there was a timeout, okay, Mo, what do you think they're going to do? You know what I mean? I was already in that mode and then getting into the OT mode. So, you know, what was it like? I've made some, personally, I made some, you know, um, game winners or whatever, not a clean at the buzzer, but you know, two seconds left, one second left. What's the emotion like? during one of those i want you to explain it to like yeah, the people listening i mean obviously it's crazy but like you're never going to forget that feeling no it's just it's just like i, I just couldn't explain like people were calling me after the game like i just mm-hmm. could not explain the way i was feeling yeah. it's just the, one of the true times where i haven't been able to like express myself like express what i'm feeling yeah. and um disbelief was one of it like i was definitely ready to play another overtime and um, just so happy for Jalen because I know how much it means to him. Yeah. Like he's he is so unique uh, compared to anybody like him who has talent level that he has. Like mm-hmm. the amount of buy-in he showed to the team and how much he like genuinely cared about Gonzaga when he had every right to not. Oh, it was tremendous. It was unbelievable. Yeah, that yeah. guy is a stud. And um he I mean he made it obviously just immediate tears, couldn't stop crying for like mm-hmm. an hour after the game and um yeah, I mean, I was just really, really, really happy for him that he can kind of – I mean, he had a lot of signature moments, but, like, his college career is going to be remembered by that, which oh, is pretty he, special. He gave a lot of people, um, you know, credence to being a Gonzaga fan after my UCLA experience, you know what I mean, for our fan base. So he washed that mm-hmm. away from everybody. Mm-hmm. And then he gave people, like, a special moment because – the sad thing about this year and obviously the COVID stuff is nobody got to watch you guys live. Mm-hmm. It really sucks because mm-hmm. you experienced the kennel yeah. and some of these kids like yeah. Jalen hasn't, Andrew yeah. hasn't obviously drew maybe a little bit, but he was coming off the bench. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So for him to have that opportunity and, and, you know, live up to the hype or whatever and give us that special moment, it's all time Mount Rushmore Gonzaga moment. Totally. It's, it's, Casey Calvary and I'm going way back was, you know, you know, the tip in against Florida that uh-huh. kind of started everything. That was kind of the one. And then you can go Jordan Matthews three, um, Demetrius Goodson's against Western Kentucky, you know, my bank shop as a regular season game against Oklahoma state. But that one, obviously the moment, but just the way the shot went in uh-huh. and, and then like, I'm going to get this framed and signed is when he jumped up on the table, that, famous picture uh, and it's all you guys like a renaissance painting yeah right? he's just like oh this. it's like, like the it's like the last supper painting man. it's unbelievable yeah. i'm gonna get it blown up it's gonna be in my basement all you fuckers are gonna sign it for me i don't care where you're playing at you know what i'm saying i'm gonna figure out a way to get it and you know but for like i said for our fan base it was fantastic you know and and you know it's just washed away and now they have the the gonzaga moment for them to fucking shit on yeah. and whatever but uh yeah, I've always I've, – I've wanted to talk to somebody to, in that moment, obviously, because it was pretty special. It was cool to call. Um, you know, so I got to talk about the Baylor game a little bit, you know, and it's going to be one of those that sting, and I know that. You know, I understand that. Do you guys think you think a little bit you guys are a shot fighter a little bit going into that as far as energy and emotion? Uh, I mean, it's, it's tough to say. Um, I really think that, like – I was in a mindset that like it didn't matter what happened to me. It didn't matter how much sleep I got the night before. Yeah. It didn't matter. Well, adrenaline. Yeah, for sure. I understand and I that. And, and, and it definitely didn't help that like I think Baylor would have beat the Lakers in the first half of that game. Mm-hmm. Like they were just really that good. Dude, in the first media timeout, 
I think there were six for 10, and you guys were 0 for 3. I mean, they started off as good as you can start, and then they had the offensive rebounds, offensive rebounds. Um, you know, so for me as an outside perspective, because, again, uh, being a former player in your team, you don't always want to say, like, hey, you know, this this such and such took away from our performance. Outside observer, player's mind as well, it just looked like your, your guys' legs were gone a little bit. Yeah. And it didn't help that for two nights or a day and a half that they're just pumping that shot up, obviously, on TV. So they're just sitting there pissed off even more. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, no, it was just uh, it was one of those games that, you know, obviously you're going to, you know, I'm just get, giving you some advice. It's going to sting for a while, and you know that. You don't need me to, to, to explain that to you. But uh, I just think it, it looked like you guys were a little bit shot emotionally and physically, but also you sit there and go, well, shit, I lift all year long. I'm a man. I've, you know, I'm ready to fucking compete. Mm-hmm. Um, I just think maybe that was part of it, but I was obviously not on the floor, not in the locker room. Um, so, yeah, I mean, that's all I need to talk about the Baylor <laughs> game too. You know what I'm saying? Like Appreciate I didn't it. get you on, you know, I didn't get you on here to be, Hey, relive a, a, a you know, a, a memory of a basketball. Cause I've lost some big ones. Obviously UCLA game. I missed a fucking uh, pull up against Texas tech uh, when we had the lead ended Roni Turioff's career in the NCAA tournament. I lost the state championship going undefeated. So I, I understand the burn. Mm-hmm. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It ain't, it, it, those aren't on that stage, but I've been in some locker rooms or it ain't right, fun it's afterwards. Not fun. It's not fun. No. And, you know, there's a lot of tears, a lot of emotion. And, um, you know, so I appreciate you sharing what you did. Um, so let's let's segue into something a little more positive. All right. Let's do it. Pre-Gonzaga. I'm with Scott Keeney, a.k.a. DJ Ski, mixtape god. <laughs> Minnesota Vikings in-house game DJ, founder of Dash Radio, Ski Sports. What else you got? I know you got Timberwolves fan. Timberwolves fan. (laughs) The lone one. Music. So 2005, you produced the 300 bars and running for the game, right? So long ago. I can't believe it's 2005. Damn. That was, you know, like 14-minute-long <laughs> beef song, right, yeah. with 50 Cent. Like, because I remember the Stop, Snitch, and Stop line. That was college for me. Yeah. wow. So, like, I've always wanted to know, like, you produced the mixtape, and this was, like, a legitimate beef, right? It wasn't just a... Oh, con- yeah. Like, yeah. it was personal. Now, people died in that, like, legitimately. Okay, okay. so... Did you ever feel like you were picking a side just because you produced the mixtape? Like, I've always wanted to know the people on the 100%. periphery. Obviously, you had a big role in it, but... Did you ever feel like frightened or just odd to be mixed into that stuff? Because it gets personal and then it gets... 100%, man. I mean, and it was different because I'd known Game and 50 for for, for a while from all of that. Like, mm-hmm. I'd watch 50's growth. Um, we were doing stuff. We did a lot with him. And, like, if you see, like, you'll see the sidekick in the 21 Questions video. That was oh, the first yeah. video. It starts off with the color sidekick. So that was me on set doing those things. Awesome. Yeah. I'd known Game longer than I even knew 50. I knew Game before he was even signed to to G unit when he was just had the the Dre deal Mm -hmm. and I met him when I still worked for Steve way back in the day so I'd known game actually longer than 50 even though 50 came up um earlier than that and we'd always clicked and just became friends and and associates and I was always hooking game up early on because I believed in his talent as soon as I heard it I was like wow this kid's like one of the most incredible lyricists yeah absolutely (laughs) ever so but we've done a lot of work with 50 um so and I was playing I I was cool with both sides when the beef first started right and 
I was still at this point, I had left Steve, but I had my own marketing agency and I had a studio. And at that point I was doing a little more DJing. I was doing like a little show on Sirius. I was doing like a couple like small events, but I, I hadn't made it right. Like I was doing, we did a T-Mobile sidekick mixtape. So I'd put like game on it and did these things. So mm-hmm. I was starting to like get my name out there, but it wasn't, it wasn't known. I hadn't, hadn't made it as a DJ. It was my, my side project. My, I still had a full-time job in essence. And I remember when the whole beef happened, uh, meeting game afterwards and talking through it. Like right after there was a shooting in New York at a radio station and one of games guys got shot and I thought he'd show up with like a hundred people. And I think I was giving him a sidekick or something. He like met with me solo after and saw all those things. But the turning point for me was when my studio was on Melrose at the time and the office and studio, I had like a one studio room in there. And I met Game. He was at the, I think it was the Ed Hardy store, which was like, two, it was at the time, 2005, one of the cooler, cooler brands. Yeah, right? no, they, I had an Ed Hardy shirt. Probably still do. <laughs> I actually somewhere. did. I actually never really liked it. You've never, I don't think you could ever, I think, think you, like, and I'll tell, I admit if I did, I don't think I ever did. But he was there, he's picking up some clothes. <laughs> and this was during the whole beef. And I was like, oh, what's going on? And they'd been, they'd made peace. There was a peace treaty at this mm-hmm. time. Like, literally, like Al Sharpton had stepped in. They were like, yo, no breaking up the Beatles, Jimmy Iveen said. So they were cool, but 50 was throwing all these shots at game. So game felt like he had to come back at him. And he's like, I'm going to come back at him and diss him. And I was like, wait, what? He's like, yeah, yeah. yeah so man. he played me. He gave me a disc that was the first like three or four minutes of 300 bars, but it was all over one beat. And he's like, yeah, I'm going to go 300 bars. Cause he had the series. He'd done 100 bars, 200 bars. So he's like, I'm going to do 300 bars, which I'm like, it's fucking 15 minutes long. Like yeah. that's a lot of yes. rapping and it was over one beat and it's the KRS one, the love's going to get you the BDP beat, which is great, incredible track, but it's like, you yeah, can't listen it. to that shit for yeah. 15 minutes. Yeah. Dude. Like, yeah, it's, <laughs> it was too much. So I had the idea. I was just like, Hey, I want to help you out as a friend. Like I went in my studio and like did a jacking for beats thing and produced some stuff together. And I emailed it to him. I was like, yo, check your email. I remember I, I sent him a two way and or a, a text on his, on his sidekick. And I just was like, hey, this is just some advice. Like, I think this will be cool mm-hmm. and, and do that. I didn't expect to do that. And he called me next thing. Like, after I sent it, like, five minutes later, he's like, yo, I'm on the way. I'm like, here we go. It's like, we're going to record this. I'm like, all right, cool. So I'm like, all right, I'm going to record this, yes. this song. So anyways, get it together. He comes in the studio. And then I'm just like, we're like riffing. And it's like in real time. He's like, he lays some bars. And then I mix a beat in. And one of my favorite things about that song is that when he mentions something, especially game, like his rap style, he name drops a lot. Right. Yeah. So every time he says an artist's name or says an allude to something like I'll mix in the background of that. So there's so many like samples in that layer. And that's why you can't hear it on Spotify. There's no clearance of it. So yeah, I've always wanted to know, like with a mixtape, like, yeah, the, 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 so much sampling, like how do you, you, you can't, you can't just put none of that. And that's why like, and that's what's so sad. Like a lot of that era just doesn't exist. Cause yeah, it's of, pretty of much, it's yeah, still it's, under, it was underground then, but now it's even more so. But we sat in the studio for two days straight and ended up making this record. And at the end of it, I was like, oh, wow, damn, like I just produced this. This is fun. Like, yeah. And at the time, I'm like, all right, I, I didn't have any expectations, but Game was like, no, I'm putting you on the mixtape. I'm like, what? Like, I didn't really expect that. And, but I, I'd been there working. And then we recorded a couple other records that there's a whole, you know, you know what it is, volume three, mm-hmm. and mixtape with a bunch of other records. And he threw my name on it. And I was like, I, I I realized it then too. It was one of those other moments, like oh shit, like my life is if I like if I do this, like my life is gonna change. Change absolutely. So like I I got like I realized like and and for being a DJ, there's very few opportunities that you have to get on. And this is before DJs like were getting paid crazy in Vegas. Yeah, before like the Calvin like, Harris and all yeah, that stuff. Like, yeah, 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 that didn't exist. So Fiesta, blah blah blah. Yeah, like mixtapes were the only way, and it was really being associated with an artist. And so it's like a once in a lifetime opportunity. And I'd really worked on that, and like I'd known Game for a long time. I loved 
that record. I personally didn't have any beef with 50. I understood games mm-hmm. points from that. But at the same time, too, like 50 at Who Kid, and Who Kid's my guy. No, no Who Kid forever. Um, and like, I, I never personally said anything or, or did any of that. But of course, like, I was associated and, and yeah. took that side. And I had to make that risk. Like, look, do I want to just stay back and tell him to take my name off of it and be scared and not do that? And, or do I, I get just, the credit that you deserve? Yeah. <laughs> or I'm yeah. like, how do I embrace it and leverage this? And like, it is what it is at a certain point. And like, you really like, yeah, you know, he like 50 is not going to be happy and all those things. And, you know, I said like, look, I'm going to do myself. I treat myself as a producer for mm-hmm. that. The same way that other ones do. If people take it the wrong way, kind of it is what it is, but I'm not scared. And I'm not out here trying to claiming to be a gangbanger and like calling out for you. I'm not going to go shoot and do any of those things. Yeah, if somebody yeah. comes after me, like, you're going to look weak if you're going after like the white boy in the crew, right? Like that's not a gangbanger. That's <laughs> the white clearly boy the not that, right? And But, you know, at the same time too, I'm going to ride with with people that are loyal for me and, yeah, and stay true to myself. And that's how I've always been able to walk between worlds. So, you know, that night was was crazy. And I remember Game had to fly to New York. He was going to do some show. The world hadn't heard it. This is like, you couldn't just, you know, MySpace was around mm-hmm. and coming up, but it wasn't like instant. And I remember making a clean version, going to Power 106 in the morning, big boy show and premiering it. You know, that 15 minute long disc record playing on radio against the biggest artist in the time. Like, I mean, I so wish that like Twitter and all these social networks were around then. Insane. Are you kidding me? Like, and especially how clever game was with like the skits and all the things that he had. So we wrote out and took sides and there were definitely people in in their feelings and definitely, you know, it it didn't make me friends with everybody. But in, in, in retrospect, like I stayed true to myself. I, I worked with music that, you know, I produced stuff that I thought was dope, but, mm-hmm. you know, I never was out there, like, claiming to gangbang and have those beefs. I'm just, you know, the producer and the guy guy in there. I'm not, like, you know, going to step down and back down and, and hide from that stuff, but at the end of the day, like, it, it's music, and it was an opportunity for, for me to to get out there as a DJ and make a career out of something that I love, and I realized early on, too, that I didn't want to be just known as that mixtape person or his games DJ or something mm-hmm. and, and no disrespect to any anybody that's just a DJ for one artist or any artist but I had so such a diverse musical taste I, I was like I had a whole plan at that point I'm like all right I'm gonna use this as my well, like, you're multi-talented so you want to in the door yeah and I'm like this is if this is the chance that I get to showcase that I can showcase everything else on like that opportunity might not ever come in my lifetime and if I don't do this right now and don't accept it and it, it was tough too. It was probably easier to, it would have been easier to walk away and be quiet. Like, Oh, I don't yeah. put my name on it. Dude, but then I would have been like still on the industry side and not, I wouldn't have been able to build all the things that I've done and you have to take a risk. And, you know, looking back and at all the crazy times, I mean, at the time I'm like 20 years old. And it like, was, that beef was so, real, man. It was crazy. Like, would I go through that now? Hell no. It's just <laughs> yeah, not worth it. Like looking like, back, I'm like, Oh God, what did I do? That was stupid. Like walking in the studio at our office, there's guns laid out everywhere. Like, oh God, it was, there was serious, like, there was literally, like, I mean, you, can, you guys can look it up. It's all public record and see, mm-hmm. like, there was people that died as a part of that beef. And being in the mix, there were moments, like, I would drive, to, like, and luckily, <laughs> there's some real street guys in there that taught me and that looked out for me and that helped me out and showed me, like, how to move. Like, I remember driving That's home, crazy, driving man. the longer ways, driving in the middle lane. So if somebody was to come to you from the right, you'd always have to have enough room in front of a car so somebody couldn't sneak up Jeez, with you. So wild, man. Yeah. So I, 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 I was not ignorant to, to, the, to the risks out there. I wouldn't do it again. But at the time, like, look, you're young and you're dumb and you do those things. It's crazy. I appreciate it. But it worked out. I appreciate you sharing that, man. That's that's wild, like, for real to even think about. Because that was my era, college. So I remember, like, stop, snitch, stop, lying. And, like, these guys, like, hated each other. Bro, we went out there. Like, that stuff was real. Hated each other. 
man, we had like, when we'd go to New York, we'd land and the police would follow us. There was a hip hop cops unit and they'd literally like follow us every, cause they didn't want anything to happen on that yeah. watch. So they'd try to shadow you to, to prevent anything from happening. But so many crazy stories and so many things. And, and it worked out like, you know, I think that beef is kind of like all things. The time is, the time heals all. Away. Yeah. Yeah, you know, there's there's issues on both sides. I don't know if they'll ever be be best friends. You don't but have to be though. Yeah, they've it's gotten not, the, yeah. they've gotten through with me. You know, me and Hukid have worked on a ton of projects since then. That's that's my guy. Like, you know, I don't I don't have any beef or any problem with anybody. I happen to to be in it, and it's like, look, you've got a you know, you're you're on a side, but that, that wasn't my beef. I was just helping to you know amplify and tell that story. Okay, go for. All right, here we are, Joel Aie. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having Appreciate me. Appreciate it. I, uh, you were seventeen, right? You were just turned seventeen. Yeah. Just turned fucking seventeen. So I remember when you first got there. That was I think it was the first year I started doing radio. You know, and shit, you were probably like one hundred fifty-five pounds. Yeah. Right. I mean, you're you're Crazy. you're a junior in mm -hmm. high school, essentially. Yeah. That's what people don't realize. Like you could have been playing at Ferris. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. High school at the GSL, yeah. and you're enrolled in in practices, and you know I just remember seeing this. Man, this kid just looks small, man. Like yeah. you know what I'm saying. Just being completely real. Sure. Like fuck, I don't know if he can put on the weight, you know. But also, I I always was like, well, you know, he's 17, but I also knew in the back of my head, and and, and Fuey's gonna hammer hammer me for this because I'm gonna have him on in one of my shows is. I knew he was going to ride your fucking ass. Yeah. I knew it. You know what I'm saying? Just, just, uh, I was just like, he has one of those guys every yeah. year that he picks out and he gets on of you. You know what I'm saying? And I, I've seen it. I, it was me a little bit my freshman year, not as bad. Um, but yeah, so you arrive at 17. Yeah. Are you just, so you kind of, was it Gonzaga pretty much from the start? I mean, you talk about Georgia Tech, Baylor, yeah. but you were like, Tommy in the, the reputa reputation with the foreigners and all that stuff. Is that kind of yeah. what it's like? And like Killian was there. Oh, so yeah, Killian. Yeah, Killian. And yeah, to absolutely. me, it was like stability and the community. Yeah. Like you say, I'm 17. I don't need a coach that could get fired a year later. Cause no, that's true. It's a good point. I know we'll have winning records because she's been here forever. Tommy's been here forever. European background. Killian yep. is here. I was like, and really good at developing people and it, European, especially, I was like, let's just go there. Well, we shit. We had Roni was Frenchman. I played with Mamo Diallo. I think was his last name was French. Yeah. I think one of the colonies or whatever the fuck you yeah. guys call him now. Yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And then uh, P Mac Pierre Marie out the door. Cespedes played here. Yep. He was French Canadian. So, so you know, he was like a bunch of like yeah. So like we, the the, the university sense. yeah. So that's interesting. So you get here. What was like your first like, you know, you're in you're in a practice or whatever. Were you like, you know, I'm punching above my weight class a little bit here at first, or were you like, it's going to take me some time to get because yeah. you redshirted, right? Yeah, yeah. they redshirted you, which was the oh, right decision, hundred percent. So like when I got here, I was like, okay, like let. Because I never heard you fucking say a word yeah. for a whole year. Yeah. Like for real, yeah. Like I was, <laughs> and I'm not an introvert at all. But no, it's like, yeah. it's like I like I don't want to like I want to look stupid speaking English with some funky words. Or like yeah, I no, I'm like for me to like actually have a whole conversation, it will take a lot. And like I need to search my words a little bit. Yeah, yeah. And like if you use a word that I never, you know, that I never heard. So like 
about it. Like, you know, I used to walk around and say, like, to great people, I would just say hello because we learned that you say hello mm-hmm. is, like, the right and hi and what's up is really, like, to your buddies. So every time I would walk around and see somebody who's older than me or something, I would say, say hello. hello. And then you're like, hey, what's up? And I'm like, oh, like... He just say what's up. So, like, so then he thinks he's my so, buddy or exactly. like. And yeah. then I had to ask Corey. I'm like, okay, like, what do you answer to what's up? Or like, is it okay for me to say, hey, how are you doing to like mm-hmm. an adult? And he was like, yeah, yeah. And I was like, okay. So then I will walk around with my mindset. Okay, no matter what people say, I'm just going to say like doing good and you, you know, because yeah. you can answer that to <laughs> kind of everything. And then one day, like somebody said, hey, what's up? And I was like. I don't know if I can say doing good and you. And I was like, I just got stuck for a second. And that person kind of smiled. And I was like hey what's up what's up and i was like yes like you kind of understood that i was kind of stuck so that's one of the reasons i was really quiet my first year but yeah like coming here i was like wow like those guys are ballers like we have ballers in europe but this is like hoopers like those, yeah, yeah. like everybody here is a hooper you know like you're 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 not fast you're not like a shooter you're not athletic you're like you are like 150 mm-hmm you are under the only thing that can save you right now is your IQ and your energy. Yeah. That's the only thing. Like if you want to just like have like a little bit of like you have to be like the smartest guy on the court and just give it all and talk, you know, like trying to like bring energy. Yeah. And right away I was like okay, like those guys are obviously way better. They are like older, they're experienced. I'm learning and I was like at first I told Tommy I was like I don't need a retro like you know, even if you put me for like a second at the end of the game, I'll be fine, you know? And and I didn't have exactly the idea of like, okay, what's the retro? It was scary. You don't play for a whole year. I'm the best player in Europe and you're going to tell me. Dude, they told me I was going to fucking gray shirt. You so see? like that's a year and another year. So oh. I get it. It's scary. Yeah, exactly. Because you you're like, what the fuck? Yeah. You know, like I don't want to sit out. Exactly. Like, what are you talking I about? I was like, slowly I'll be able to crack the rotation. That's how it works in Europe. You know, you just crack your rotation slowly. Like yeah. I'm the one that... You bet on yourself. You know, exactly. Yeah. And then I was like, okay, coach, you only play seven to eight guys. And yeah. from the jump, pre- I learned that preseason was so important because once you're on the ninth on the verge, to crack the rotation and being the seven, eight guy is almost, at four years, I didn't see that happening yeah, for nobody. No, yeah. And so I'm like, okay, like, those guys are way better. I have to explain to my parents, okay, I won't play all this year, but don't worry, it's part of the plan. Mm-hmm. Um. You know, I'll be doing great. Tommy's really taking good care of me. Everybody's taking good care of me. You don't have to worry at all. Like, because I'm like, they send their 17 year old, you know? Yeah, no, that's. Like, I'm like, that's... as parents, like, so, like, I, my parents, like, until recently had no idea about my struggle. Like, they knew I wasn't playing because, but they had no idea that I was coming home, like, dang, like, today would suck. Yeah, know? yeah. They had no, I was, I can't tell them that. <laughs> like, yeah, they have enough he, pressure. Yeah, because they're sitting there going, you know, I sent my baby across the, the pond exactly. here and what the fuck yeah. why did we let him and blah 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 then it, yeah i'm like you would be so worried i don't i can't afford that so you know and um but yeah i i realized pretty quickly that i wasn't you know i wasn't up there yet at that level but it just gave me so much more like will to work and stuff i mm-hmm. was like and then at the same time i was like that's the reason i got here you know a bunch of kids there's hide on france because they're gonna get jacked on potential that's how it goes now you yeah. know oh he's six five lengthy and i lengthy. think I could have got drafted maybe a year or two ago just because I'm like I would have played ten minutes pro six five lengthy yeah huge potential point guard you know but I'm like right now I would be like shaking my boots in the NBA because I'm like okay like you have the I don't experience. know if anybody wants yeah. me because I just hit a wall when I got to the US so I was like that wall 
that's exactly the reason I go to college is to play those guys who are the best athlete, you know. Mm-hmm. And I was just gonna like hit the wall, and at some point, you know, I I knew I was kind of gonna like get over that wall, and I'm just happy it happened. So, talking about breaking into the rotation, so I think for me covering you guys was going into your sophomore year because I think your freshman year, few we would put you at the end of games yeah. and you'd make plays. You know, I'd sit there with uh, Tom Hudson that, who does the games with me and be like, well, that was actually the right read. Yeah. Okay. Then you start scoring. It was mm-hmm. like, okay. You know what I mean? And I saw some growth. So then, okay, we're going to get into a little bit juicier. <laughs> Brock Reve comes in. Yeah. Your sophomore year. What were you thinking before the season? Because everybody fucking yeah. was talking about he was going to be Jason Williams. and Yeah. You know what I'm saying? So, like, I never said it on the air, but I knew that you probably kicked the shit out of him that fall. Yeah. I you was, did. You did, did you? I was you? just like... And he's probably a nice kid. We're not yeah, burying no, no, a kid. Yeah, 100%, 100%. But I'm saying, you I'm, were like, this is either now or never yeah. if I'm going to fucking play here. Exactly. I got to I gotta kick the shit out of this I guy. Like, this is my last chance. Yeah. Like, That's I've been here yeah. for two years already. Like, yep. I was damn near, like, gently pushed away, you know? Uh, and I kind of, like, yeah, say, you, like... You can be real with... You know? Yeah. I was like, okay, yeah. I know that I'm maybe not the one here... But I just said, no, I'm not going to leave. I'm going to stay there and make my make some room for myself. Mm-hmm. And I just went into that inter- that preseason. And I was just like, I don't care who you are, you know. Like, I will just go so hard. I'll make myself needed. I was, I was just Fantastic, in that mindset. Dude. I was like, Fucking great, I know I might, not, I might not even Love be wanted shit. here, but I'm just going to go so hard. I worked so hard. Like, uh, I, kn- I, I, I knew it from and afar. I, but I knew it was like, he, uh, Joel probably kicked the shit out of that kid every fucking and, day. You know, and every day. I came back from the World Championship where I played great. And I was like, all like I had a bunch of calls from like European teams, you know. You're not playing. Yeah, exactly. come make some money. Yeah. They were like, I don't know what they don't see in you, but they don't. They didn't play you. And you just came here and you were super, like, you should come here. You know, mm-hmm. obviously you're going to get paid. And like, you know, Euro Cup, like some great clubs, you know. Hey, Euro Cup's like, good too. Yeah. yeah like I played in great, Euro Cup. Yeah. And I was like 1920. I was like, wow. Like I, for, for two days, I was like, dang it. But then I was just like, man, you just, you just work way too hard. Too hard to just be like, like see you guys. You know, like yeah. you That's came here like. because it was hard and you have a small window, but it's here. You didn't have the window at all. It's here. After two years and a half, this is to me became a challenge. I was like, nah, there is no way you don't leave college without being one of the one of the best players in the country. There is no way That's, you allow yourself. That mindset is is unbelievable. And by I the was way, just like fucking great. I was like, let's go. You know, obviously, like nothing mean on a route. Like you know, no, that's you and, know? And, and I think the listeners are going to understand that we're not shitting on him. Yeah, but we're saying that way. when somebody gets recruited over here, because it happens all the time. Not especially now yeah. at Gonzaga, it happened to me. Um, you know, they're, they're just bringing as many guys as they can. It's just mm-hmm. how it is. Yeah. You have to go and it's like I he's my teammate, but I'm going to bust his ass every yeah. single fucking exactly. day and make myself a part of this rotation yeah. to where coach has no choice. And I think the Bahamas tournament is where you kind of yeah, that was like you played dude. fantastic, but you were just letting it rip. You were making Free all the up. right reads. Yeah, you had you didn't have to look over your shoulder. Yeah. There was a bunch of who it was. Adman was kind of hurt. Yes, he only played like a, he just started basically for a first four and in both quarters. Uh, both halves yeah and um and then i was playing like the whole half yep. and uh and you know like preseason i was just like okay i know there's gonna be seven or eight guys 
I don't care who are the six or seven other guys, but I have to be. Be one of them. I don't care if it's seven guards, one center, or whatever. I have to be one of them. Like, I will make myself like that guy that you know he will be in there. You know, and that's why I started the season. You know, now you know I was seventh man, and I was like, it's all good because, like, technically, I had such a good like preseason. I kind of knew that um, I had the the ability to like be to be a starter, become a starter, and I was like, look. Right now, you're, the only thing you're worried about is like, how can I get more minutes or go from 20 to 30? Mm-hmm. It used to be from, how do I get zero to it's one? You know? one yeah. So I'm like, you're in a great situation. There's yeah. nothing to complain about. And all you have to, literally, all you have to do is keep working and play good during the games. Like, you know, like, yeah, because you way worse. You murdered in that tournament, man. Yeah, you were balling too. Like, yeah, you were doing your shake and your pull up yeah. game was going too. You were hitting floaters, I and then Fuey was finally running fucking ball screens for you. Yeah. And you're great on the, you know, the the weak side guy. You can yep. hit the corner. You can hit the big. You're the only guy that could pivot and hit the dump down yeah. pass on that team. Yep. I think Wolverich could do it that year as well. But you guys could come off. Our bigs always sit. And then, yeah. Yes, exactly. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Was it was like, like if you do that for Fuey, then he's like, oh exactly. yeah, fuck yeah, he could do right? it. You know he's what I mean? Like, <laughs> you do it a couple of times, yeah. and he's like, oh. And I think, yeah. like he said, like for example, he's so stupid, but that particular move was like, okay, he's not just taking the ball screen, sprinting to the rim, trying to throw something up. He's mm-hmm. actually reading the game, sitting down, and hitting one of the best big in the country. Yep. He understood how it worked. He got Corey filling. He's understood that he can sit down, pass it back yep. to Corey. You got Killian down there. He understands that he, that's a shooter with a high pocket. So you pass it to him. And I Pick was and like, pop, yeah. exactly. And I'm like, to me, that year is when I become, you know, like I became a player. Like I had a little more freedom mm-hmm. and I felt it every game, every game, every game. And like Bahamas was when, because right after Bahamas, I became a starter. And yeah. No, it was, it was well earned too. I mean, just watching that tournament, it was just like, man, Joel's playing fucking fantastic. But you yeah. could just tell you the confidence was there. Yeah. You you know obviously speaking to you now, but I, I could see it as a broadcaster and as a former player. I'm like, okay, the lifted off of his yeah. shoulders, right? Yeah, the monkey 100%. was off his bag. It was like, oh 100%. my god, now I can finally play with freedom. Yeah, um, yeah, because you were snapping it off. That thing was looking good. Um, yeah, that was. I mean, I knew going into that or going into that season once Brock left, I I had the inclination. I'd, I'd never say it on the radios. I didn't mm-hmm. want to. You know, but I was like, I, I guarantee Joel beat the shit out of him. And I always and, wanted you know, to know. Yeah. And, I, I, and like, I knew, but I wanted to get confirmation. It was like, but that's a great mindset because yeah. let's just be real here. Okay. So for the people listening right now, like when somebody that high, highly regarded gets recruited and you haven't played in fucking two years, yeah. they're basically telling you, yeah, you go transfer. Know. Exactly. Yeah. That's yeah, what they're yeah, telling yeah. you without yeah. saying it. Yeah. And they love. Dan Katz of Barstool Sports. Thanks for coming on, man. Dude, I'm very, very excited. This is uh, a full circle moment, to say the least, for you to have a podcast and me to be able to be on your podcast after uh, the history of our relationship. Yeah, no, it it is kind of a circle of life thing right now, so I'm excited about it. Uh, Again, thanks for coming on. Thanks for having us all the way out in New York. You guys got a beautiful studio. It looks you don't like, have to say that. You know like it's, shit, a it's, yeah, it's, it's a dump. It's a dump. But, it's a total uh, dump. <laughs> got some cool uh, memorabilia on the wall. I had a jersey for you, actually, and I, I'll mail it to you as long as it doesn't go in the pile. Yes, I will. But I'll I, frame it. I'll frame that. I have a jersey where it's half it's me on the front 
with like when I was playing with a stash and everything, and then Bobcats on the back. So I just figured I had it laid out too, and I like washed it and everything. Oh, all right, I'll that's get it the worst you. gift ever because you just were like, "Hey, this thing was so sweet, and I was gonna bring it, and Good I point. didn't." <laughs> but yeah. I'm excited for it. Yeah, I will absolutely put that up. Um, we'll find a space yeah, for we'll it as long as it doesn't Between go. Coach O and the Cubs. As long as it doesn't go in the pile, is that all right? I can't promise that. But the, guess what? Here's the, here's what I'll say: is the pile. Uh, for people who don't know, it's basically just my the corner of my office. People send me stuff constantly, and I'm I'm a hoarder by nature to begin with, but I've uh, weaponized the pile for the greater good. So I auction it off every uh, like year or so for mm-hmm. charity. Yeah, no, you so do now well people with can't it. complain for me yeah. being messy. It's probably <laughs> the the most genius thing I've done. Yeah, like I said, I, as long as it doesn't get, well, if it goes to charity, then I'll I'll, I'll live with it. But, okay, uh, perfect, um, perfect. All right, so let's get into like how we first met. Yes. So what was it? February. You guys started the show. What's twenty sixteen? February. So, yeah, we started the show twenty February twenty ninth, twenty sixteen mm-hmm. was the first episode of Part of My Take. Yes. Yeah. Yes. So I'm sitting there minding my own business, kind of faded off to the into the sunset, and I opened uh, all my social media, and it's. Adam Morrison has a bunker. Adam Morrison's unhinged, owns all these guns, and Barstool Sports, Kyle Wiltshire. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm like, you know, kind of like, what the fuck? You know, kind of pissed off, obviously. So I search, start texting everybody. I get a hold of Wiltshire, and he gives me your number. So I remember texting you and being like, hey, can I talk to you on the phone? And uh, it was a contentious first phone call. Do you remember, do you remember me telling you I was going to sue you guys if you I, didn't let me come on? I forgot that part. Remember that? Yeah. yeah. Shit. It was like Because, like, we, we've we've been so friendly since that moment, yeah. but I forgot that. Yeah, you're right. I, so, so from our perspective, we start this <laughs> podcast. I think it was probably the second or third week of the podcast. Maybe, like, I don't know, the f- 14th episode i'm just throwing that out there but it was sometime during march madness right before march madness started hank our producer knew someone uh on kentucky who knew kyle Kyle. wilcher when he was on kentucky we were looking for guests we're just starting out he's like hey we have kyle wilcher he's playing obviously in gonzaga they you know are playing they're good this year Mm -hmm. uh they're playing in, in march madness and so we're like great and we started talking to him, and we started talking about you, and he did say, he was like, yeah, he's got a bunker and all this <laughs> stuff. And then we woke up the next morning, and it was like, fuck, this is this is now becoming a story. And it was, admittedly for us, our first big break, so I owe you that. Because it was our first time that people were yeah. like, pardon my take. Um, and if you go through the list, like I always talk about, there's a list of things that happened to get part of my take to number one. And this was absolutely the number one first thing to happen. Yeah. And I forgot that we were, we did have a contentious, uh, exchange. I felt bad though. You I were nice about bad. it. Yeah, no, yeah. I felt bad because I was like my, my philosophy when it comes to doing podcasts, uh, having guests on, doing content, is I never want anyone to go to walk away feeling bad about themselves. Yeah. I always want people to feel like they had a good, you know, busting balls, having fun, making jokes, like making fun of each other. That's all cool. But I don't want everyone, anyone ever to walk away and be like, man, that sucks. Oh, like, I don't, assholes. yeah, that yeah. was an asshole experience. So I definitely felt bad, but I also think you were like, you got to take it down. We're like, we can't. <laughs> and, uh, yeah, then we had you on, and it was like start of a friendship. Yeah, it was. So, you know, like I said, I was minding my own business, and I remember that evening I had, I think my daughter was probably seven or eight at the time, so I go to her practice, 
and fucking people are looking at me like I'm David Koresh, <laughs> t- t- Ted Kaczynski. And, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm hot. But you were like, all right, I'll let you come on, you know, the next day or two days or whatever it was. And it's funny, I still have people like just random people like, hey, man, I remember your PMT episode. I loved it. And it was kind of cool in a sense because it, you guys gave me an opportunity to like explain myself. Like sometimes when you get a gotcha moment, some people will just be like, "Hi, oh, I got you." You know, what I mean? yeah, obviously, yeah, and then right. take the all the the whatever came about it and not give somebody a chance to explain themselves. And then you guys were cool about it. Like you didn't like you let me explain it, but you didn't like hammer me into a corner and be like, "No, you really got one, don't you?" Because I had to do like I had like three interviews come in like. Uh, 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 what's the Sports Illustrated did one, and then another uh, the uh, Bleacher Report did one, and so I had to like explain that I'm not like a psycho, you know, right wing nutcase, right? right. right? Um, so yeah, it was just interesting first way to kind of like, meet somebody. Yeah, oh, very interesting, and it's um, it was also like it, having you on was great because you know I'm 36 years old, I remember your you know like rise, I remember you in college, like mm-hmm. I you know whenever um i think about like i'm i'm a big looking back now as you get a little older it's like we were ta- we we're having this conversation about tim tebow like i i don't like tim tebow i think he's a little bit like a uh attention seeker all these things he's not gonna make the team but i also can recognize like i have fond memories of watching yeah. tim tebow in college and he was one of the greatest college football players of all time like I have fond memories of watching you play in college and like moments that are uh, maybe not your best moments, but moments that are etched in my mind where I'm like, this dude was awesome and he was cool for the sport and it was fucking like you don't you you don't lose those moments. So when you were hit me up, I was a little starstruck. And uh, yeah, I mean, it was crazy that it all worked out. Now, did you do you still have the bunker? (laughs) It's just off site. What is no, no. It's so it's a. (laughs) It's obviously it's it's um I think I've explained it on your guys's uh, show on PMT but it's just a you know Washington law requires you to have uh you know safes but if you have an open room with firearms you have to have a door with a lock on it. So it's a storage room. Good law. Good law. <laughs> Good great law. Yeah. Absolutely and I you know I pride myself I guess on being a, a responsible gun owner and I really do and so it's just a room with other safes in it. Um, Could you imagine though? Like that doesn't really play if it was like Adam Morrison, responsible gun owner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, like exactly. Well, it was so crazy though. Like New York Post had a thing like unhinged and all this shit. And so like I literally did. A, I had to do a media tour, and then then you have to get into the. You know, like, how come you don't play anymore? How come your NBA career was shitty? Well, see, I feel bad You know what I'm that. saying? Yeah, so then I'm, then I'm like, I'm just minding my own business. I'm a dad, blah, blah, blah. You know, my uh, lifestyle's good, and I'm just, like, staying out of the limelight, and then I get thrown back into it. Um, but like I said, it was an interesting way to meet somebody, and I'm glad my, like, embarrassment helped you guys have some Yeah, success. no, you know it did. I, mean? like, I owe you for sure. <laughs> uh, and, and uh, I mean, we've had you on since. Oh, yeah, it's, it's been great. It's awesome. Yeah, I mean, yeah. it's it's great that uh, – a friendship was born out of it like that's that's like the perfect story ending to me is like these type of moments happen and then you like get a new friend out of it you're like oh this is pretty cool yeah no i and like i said you guys handled it right and i really mean that not to get uh, like sappy or anything but you guys like gave me an opportunity to speak my mind uh explain myself and then you guys weren't like you know giving me shit the whole time now the other like underrated part of the story that i don't ever think gets talked about is gonzaga went out and just laid an egg 
<laughs> and I think like we might have had something to do with that, like Kyle Wiltshire feeling like, oh fuck, fuck I fucked yeah. up. Because the game was in Chicago. Who'd they lose to? It was first round. Game. Oh yeah, no, was it this? Was that the Syracuse year? It might have been. I think it might have been the Syracuse year where they were up. Yeah, but you're right. Uh, they did. They lay laid an egg. a total egg, uh, and I was sitting there the whole time being like, Ugh, well, and I was, whoops. I felt bad too because like, yeah, like you said, it was like unnecessary publicity for those guys, right? And right. He didn't mean it out of hate. It was a or total offhand comment I know. that got just picked up. And I was, you know, I was pissed at the time. I mean, I literally went to a lawyer's office. Really? <laughs> yeah, man. I mean, because I'm sitting there like, I have to explain myself. And I don't know, like, what the what defamation, what it comes down to. But No I've, one does. If, exactly. Yeah. And that's what my lawyer said. Like, well, hey, man, like, you can try. But- also, our defense would have just been my bad. Exactly. And, and you can always like, say, what's... like, you're technically in the public light, so, you know, yeah. people can say whatever the fuck they want yeah. about you. But, yeah, anyway, it was. I always start the shows with kind of how I know people yeah. and the connection. It's and a stuff. great one. It's definitely probably the weirdest one. It it's really... probably a little different than Mark Few. <laughs> Very true. But, uh, yeah, so uh, that's how we came to know each other. It was, like I said, my, you know, my embarrassment helped you guys become a little bit little bit you know obviously you guys no it was no i you i give you listen i don't underrate that like there's like i said there's a few moments and that's definitely one of them i appreciate it so um you know the next thing i want to talk about is like how did you start um you know because you're like an og podcaster and everybody knows that um like when you first i got the 2017 ap coach of the year Two-time National Association of Basketball Coaches Coach of the Year. Two-time Naismith Coach of the Year. 14-time WCC Coach of the Year. Future Hall of Famer, Mark Few. Thanks for coming on, buddy. Are you are you a fan of the portal, or are you kind of like uh, both sides? I mean, because you see the value. The value for Gonzaga with the grad transfers has been great over the sure. years. So, like, all in all, I mean, I know you got to kind of Told the line a bit, a little bit with the NCA, like you mentioned. No, I don't have to tell. No, I don't have to tell it at so all. So, do you like the portal? Well, I think that that I mean, do you like f- food? <laughs> I mean, that's just such a basic. Like, do you like the transfer portal? Do you think it's good for college basketball? Well, there's the, this portal or whatever is just not. You know, we've been moving along on this continuum for a time. Yeah. Like, so if you're asking me where the rule currently stands with all this misinformation and and uh, disconnection of facts to where we're going to be. Yeah. No, it's a disaster right now. Uh, I am for players having opportunities. I think if the NCAA would have been more astute uh, and more timely on seeing this coming down the pipes, just like NIL, we could have avoided all of this by just if – a coach gets fired or a coach leaves, mm-hmm. you get a free, you can, you can, you can get, go. I agree yeah, with that. You can go. Yes. Um, but you know, just open it up under the guise of like, well, all the other sports can do that. You and I both know the other sports are not like, uh, men's college basketball yeah. and football. Yeah. Okay. It, it, there's a roster billing aspect of this with incredible, um, highly, highly competitive recruiting Absolutely. things going on that are vastly different than these other Swimming sports. And, yeah. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. this idea or – and and so I think we could have avoided all of that by just 
getting behind this, you know, four or five years ago. Cause sure. I mean, if you, you know, went to a place and, and, and the coach left, took another job where he got fired. I mean, and, you know, you, I, I, it's definitely within reason. You should be able to do that. I know? think so too. And then what happened, Mo, is, you know, everybody, they started allowing waivers mm-hmm. and then you could just get a waiver for anything. And you started bringing people in and my, you know, my aunt's cousin's nephew's brother is really sick and I need to go home, go home. Yeah. You know, well, if you're going to go home, why don't you sit out the year and spend some time with that mm-hmm. aunt's cousin's nephew's brother, you know, <laughs> not, <point>. not <laughs> play college basketball and never go home. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there was that and, and, and whatever. And, you know, I, I, I you're involved in AAU basketball now I am. You know, with your daughters. And, yeah. and uh, so that, I mean, there is a generational aspect of this. Um, where you pretty much can just, if you hit the slightest bit of adversity, just go. You're, you're, go, you're out of there. Yeah. And I personally don't think that's a healthy way to, uh, mature. And, and, you know, you, there, there are some things you got to learn life lessons as you journey through this life, especially at your young, younger age. I totally agree. I think, uh, you know, speaking of the AU stuff, I mean, my daughter's team just forming, it was chaos. You know what I'm saying? And teams leaving, and you know, obviously, it's not a tied to a university, but to be able to have to deal with that, and then trying to roll players, and then you mentioned the recruiting process, especially with you guys now, because you guys recruit different players than you know my era, and that's not a knock on the players I had, but or we had. Um, but they're I, higher I, level guys. Can I stop guys. that for a second, though? Like, I think, first of all, like, I mean, come on, you were the second pick in the draft or whatever, mm-hmm. you know, so. I I bristle at that a little bit, you know, and JP Batista was an unbelievable double double machine, and Derek Ravio was, come on now, all of you guys would play big time roles, starter, all league, all American, currently on this team. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, you know, and, and again, I think I got the best feel out of everybody in this. <laughs> so <laughs> I, I, I welcome other opinions, but I'm like, I'm just saying. I, okay, right. if we're going to go that route, I was on the court with these guys. Right. Okay. And obviously I watched the last four years covering the games. Sure. There's better top to bottom players at Gonzaga now than there was our era. That's top, not even close. Top to bottom. Not even close. Right. But the okay. top, especially when we had a guy like you. Yeah, I appreciate And we, and we had... And even and Batista was, you know, and JP incredibly. was nineteen and ten, and yeah. you never get, we never yeah. threw him the ball, right? Yeah. I mean, well, you didn't, I but, didn't, <laughs> um, uh, but uh, yeah, you know. So I, again, I just, you know, and and people like, well, okay, well, Casey Calvary be great for us right now. We're yeah. going to use Casey Calvary the other night against Baylor. It's true. You know? um, so you know, I agree, top to bottom, but we, you know. Yeah, but when, what when I'm talking Dom what, Harris and, and Julian Strother, you know, that are. That's what I'm saying, like yeah, SP, yeah. ESPN top hundreds and stuff like that. That's yeah. what I'm basing it off of. Now, we we have okay. we had great players, but those that stuff matters in today's basketball. You know that, right? Or recruiting <laughs> for you guys, it does a little bit. It matters to the kids that are considering going to Gonzaga a little bit, right? Like, who have you gotten in the past is on my level, right? I'm sure that question has come up in your recruiting, right? Uh, I mean, it, okay, but first of all, so 
ESPN 100, okay? Where the hell was Adam Morrison on the ESPN 100? Exactly. The, the dude... Well, it, because you're putting too much stock in these dudes who are it's doing not stock. ESPN. It's social. It, it's how the it's how you can view players now. It's so much easier. Back well, then, I I, 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 I view I went you to, as the, one of the all time greatest guys ever at Gonzaga. I appreciate and that. What actually one of the all time greatest college seasons you can yeah. argue that any players ever had. And so you, there's a fine line, and and I pride I still pride ourselves at Gonzaga is. If I see you and I see this dude who they say is a top 50, but I know what works at Gonzaga <laughs> and I have full confidence mm-hmm. in my ability or, or my staff's ability to say, no, 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 we're going to take Adam over this guy and, you know, let's see where it is a year from now, two years from now, three years from now. Yeah. I mean, you obviously have parameters of what it means to be a Zag. That's I, I totally agree with that, and and you've done a good job of recruiting those type of guys that buy in. You know, I've talked about it on the previous shows how how much Jalen bought in this year yeah. as a one and done guy. It was fucking incredible. He's unbelievable. Off the charts. Un- it was. It was. It was so <laughs> coachable. Unbelievable. So, do you know, like the last time, uh, we, this is the uh, we're done, right? I mean, uh, the getting off the the charter. Uh, on the bus, and you know, we had make the freshmen uh, shag the bags or whatever. Yeah. You know, he's out there shagging the bags. Yeah. You know, just yeah. come on, <laughs> I mean, yeah. it's it's over. He's going to be the third pick in the draft yeah. or whatever, and he's shagging bags and just he was. If you came to our practices and watched him, you'd think he was a walk on trying to make the team. You know, with awesome. just how so good, what a great teammate he was, how hard he went. In fact, I told him like. Uh, Stop uh, diving on the floor so not, much, you know. I actually like, told him, uh, you know, in the NCAA tournament, as you kind of as a coach, you know, okay, this thing, I got three more practices with <laughs> Jalen. I got two more, and I just told him, like, Jalen, just do me this one favor, man. Who, whatever coach you play for next, or whatever coach you play, coaches you play for, just practice. Give him the greatest gift ever. Just practice as hard as you practiced here, man. Oh, That's wow, the greatest awesome. gift you could give. You know, a future mm-hmm. coach, man. It's such a joy to have a dude. You never worry about effort. Well, he just seemed like he was such a positive kid as well. And then I thought you guys did a good job this year of, of letting him be a kid, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. And then you pulled the reins back on, you know, sometimes you get a little bit out of control, but he had so much pent-up energy. Yeah. Um, but just watching him, man, I was like, man, this kid is so different. It was so sad that there was not an opportunity for the fans to watch him yeah. live. Obviously, yeah. we know that the COVID stuff, but... You know, I was sitting there like, man, this kid is so fucking good. Yeah. Like, he's so good. He's so polished. Who does he remind you of? See, that's where I've I've gotten – it's hard for me to go with the comps because I've heard one Jason kid with a better jump shot. It's like, okay, I played against kid actually. He actually locked me down one time. I had 22 in New Jersey going into the fourth, and I had zero in the fourth. He handcuffed mm-hmm. me, yeah. Anyway, um, I, 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 I remember I said to you this year, Bradley Beal – but it, 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 uh, more I thought about it, it just doesn't make sense. Yeah. He's not as big. Bradley's a high, high, high-level scorer. And I thought Jalen can't get to there. I mean, you obviously coached him. I, I can't come up with a comp. What do you think? I, I mean, the comps for me are some sort of this combination of Jason Kidd and the and I, and I watched Jason Kidd in college. And, and again, J, J, Jalen's a phenomenal passer. Phenomenal. Willing passer. Willing passer. Uh, creative passer. So, uh, and what a 
reminded me with uh, Jason Kidd was just the north-south. I mean, Jason mm-hmm. Kidd would just be coming at you, just full bear over and over and over again, the relentlessness yeah. of it. Um, kind of a Chauncey Billups uh, uh, body and kind of like Chauncey in the uh, uh, half court. And then I, I just think he he reminds me of Russ, man, with just his uh, the joy that he plays with and the explosiveness and the, the energy. He just keeps coming and coming and coming and, and just some kind of combination of those guys, a lot of the goods and a lot of the bads, but um, just ferocious competitor, man. Mm-hmm. And, and, a, and, and channeled his, his channels, his competitive spirit, pretty darn good for somebody so young. Uh, and he, he's just going to be fun to watch as he moves. Forward. Yeah. I think, I think great the, person, great family. That's, great, that's what family I've always heard. Is is great. The family is perfect. This stuff amazingly well, so coachable for mm-hmm. someone that's had all these accolades and everything, willing to be coached, wanting to be coached. I know that's a new concept for you and a tough concept. Uh, uh, I was your easiest player to ever fucking coach in your life. I, <laughs> well, actually, we can save it, that for later. It was, but. it was good. It wasn't that bad for me, but you were not easy on assistant coaches. You no, were I, not. Uh, <laughs> we had. Some you were a guy skin. the head coach had. To, you needed to be coached by the head coach and not the uh, assistant. Yeah, I was hard <laughs> on uh, Tommy, Billy. Yeah. Uh, Leon was my guy, Leon so I, guy. I let Leon yeah. slide a little bit, but yeah, Billy and Tommy got the yeah. brunt of it. Uh, but yeah, just when you, th- uh, uh, you know, I, we've touched on that earlier, just kind of the, whatever, entitlement or whatever we think that's going on with this generation mm-hmm. and the ability to hit adversity and, and get, you know, leave, give up. Um, Special guest. Venezuelan vixen, <laughs> Juliana Pena, number six in the UFC uh, rankings right now, Bantam, correct? <sighs> number one in my opinion. Oh, there you go. I like that. <laughs> Confidence. Mount Spokane grad for all the Spokane listeners. Got a huge fight coming up August 7th for Amanda Nunez title fight. That's awesome. Thank you. Thanks for coming on. Yeah. It's, it's feel good to be back home. It does. It does. I was just uh, driving down uh, Division and I'm like, oh, there's nothing, nothing like there driving down Division. Yeah. You stop by Zips, get some tartar sauce. Yeah. And stuff. Corn dogs uh, but, and stuff. Um, yeah. Again, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, I usually start the shows with the non-basketball people, like kind of how we met. Um, we met through a mutual friend, what, five, six, seven years ago or something yeah, yeah. like that. And uh, we used to have the same masseuse yep yeah so we'd always see each other every once in a while and For hang sure. out and stuff and i was always repping 509 you're a 509 uh gal obviously and, and doing well in the ufc and um so yeah that's how kind of we got connected and i really appreciate you coming on quick question yeah d- d- where do you fight out of when you when they announce you do you go to spokane now uh, i think they say uh fighting out of spokane washington by way of chicago oh, okay there you go yeah did you make sure of that yeah absolutely for you. I, I literally when i'm driving down division i'm like man i am so like proud to be from spokane like uh, i love spokane i love the 509 i'll rep it till i die 509 uh, baby yeah we always we're always rooting for you so Thank um you. You know, to get started, I always kind of like to go through people's backgrounds. So, obviously, I mentioned you're 2007 Mount Spokane grad. You made your pro de- uh, pro debut in 2009. Did you play sports in high school? I did, yeah. Um, I was, uh, I played all of them, actually. Whatever mm-hmm. season it was, I played. I played um, soccer, basketball, volleyball. I played uh, softball. Yeah. Um, all varsity? Or you like no, actually, see, that's the thing. Um, 
for some reason, (laughs) I felt like the other kids had like parents that would like put them in club, you know, club this, club that. I, my parents Mm -hmm. literally just were like, whatever the season was, and then just go and the bus will bring you back. You know what I mean? (laughs) Yeah. So I, I feel like I, I, I want to say this with like as much love as possible. I was always on C squad. For some reason, like I was always and I was like the one on the team that was so competitive that was like wanting to win all the time. And then I was grouped together with people that like didn't care and didn't want to win. And so I would always have this like massive frustration. Like, why am I always getting overlooked? Like, I I really (laughs) care. I'm trying to win. I want to play. I play my heart out. Um, I just think that I didn't have like that extra, you know, uh, attentive eye or a coach that really cared that like actually was like, this girl's actually trying. She, Mm -hmm. she really wants to do something. So yeah, I was always, yeah, I played all the sports, but I was never on, uh, on varsity. You you always had a competitive bug then, right? Absolutely. So getting into fighting, obviously there's no like girls wrestling or whatever at that time, right? right? So you started your pro debut was in 2009. Like, how did you get like interested into MMA? Because it's a big leap for, um, you know, at that time period. And correct me if I'm wrong, speaking out of ignorance, but I think uh, it wasn't as prevalent for or women to to be interested in that sport or have the opportunities. Can you walk us through how you got interested in it? Was it a competition thing? Was it like, ah, this is kind of fun. I'm going to kick the shit out of somebody. You know what I mean? Like, how'd you get interested in it? So I'm the baby of four and I have a very large family. Mm -hmm. So any family gathering, even in my own household, I was always getting the tail end of a lot of beatings. I have (laughs) an older brother who's like obsessed with WWE and he was knocking us around all the Mm -hmm. time. So I I grew up aggressive, but I didn't really know where to channel that. And I always grew up super tough, but like I, people would always be like, don't mess with her. She'll kick your ass. You know what I mean? (laughs) But like, I didn't know if I could do it or not, you know? So I had no idea what MMA was. I had no idea what the UFC was. Um, back then it was rare. Even still right now, it's pretty rare. Um, but back then, especially very rare. Um, I was serving lanes at, uh, Lilac lanes at like, yeah, I was out to the North side bowling alley. That's right. Um, Lilac lanes. I was the what is it called? Nighttime. I was a graveyard server mm-hmm. in the casino and I had graduated high school. I didn't have like that thing there, you know, they're like, parents were like, you're going to college, you know what I mean? Or like find, you know, you're going to be a doctor. Like I didn't have that, you know, avenue. Um, So my sister invited me to a woman's cardio kickboxing class. I think I was like 18, 19 years old after I graduated high school. And uh, she's like, you want to join this cardio kickboxing class with me? And I'm like, yeah, I need to lose some weight. So I I joined the cardio kickboxing class and my coach was like, uh, you know, wow, who taught you, who taught you how to box? And I'm like, no, nobody. Nobody. Yeah. And he's (laughs) like, well, who, who taught you how to punch? I'm like, you, you just did. Mm. He's like, you're a natural, you know? And so I remember at that point, you know, when I was living with my parents, like washing the dishes and I'd have the little TV on the side while I'd wash the dishes. And if it was like MMA, I didn't know what it was. I'd flip the channel. I remember vividly flipping the channel. Anytime it was on spike TV, I'd flip the channel. I had no idea what I it was. About spike TV. Yeah. That was awesome. Anyway. Uh, yeah. And so, um, when I joined the women's cardio kickboxing class, they encouraged me to stay after for the MMA and the jujitsu. And, mm-hmm. and then I kind of figured out what fighting was, but I couldn't pay the dues for the gym. I was broke. I was paying rent as an, at an apartment. I, I thought I knew it all. I, I moved out. I'm like, I'll show you guys, you know? So yeah, yeah. I moved out, I was paying rent and, uh, I joined this cardio kickboxing class. I couldn't pay the dues. And so he's like, okay, you can mop the mats and clean the gym, vacuum the gym and stuff. So that's what I was doing to, to pay the dues to train. Um, and then he was like, you don't pay anything. You got to fight. And I'm like, what do you mean? He's like, well, you're not paying. So, you know, you, you got to fight on my fight card. And I'm like, okay. Who, who is him? my head coach, Rick? Oh, okay, yeah. So cool. Rick. Yeah. So he was like, you got to fight. And so I ended up fighting on his 
fight card at a, I think there's a bowling alley and slash like half casino out in uh, off a of Sprague. I don't remember what it's called, but oh, uh, well, which one was that? AC Deucey or if Annie Fanny's was it that one? No, it wasn't Annie oh, Fanny's. Right. Okay. Um, players and spectators. Players and spectators. See, Thank I'm you. a degen gambler. Yes, so I know you're all a degenerate. The yes. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, players and spectators uh, was the one that I did my first amateur fight on, mm-hmm. and I remember swinging for the fences for all three rounds like the girl stole my lunch money like just <laughs> literally like any pent-up aggression I've ever had in my entire life I took it out on that poor chick um and that's how I got my start um yeah. and Rick my trainer was like if you stick with this you know you can make a career out of this yeah. and I didn't believe him I was going to college full-time I was serving full-time and I was trying to fight full-time yeah and so at that point it was just like you got to pick do you want to be the best a, yeah, yeah you want to be the best server in the world you want to be the best fighter in the world mm-hmm. what do you want to do so did you fall? So obviously you fell in love with it. Did, would it have mattered if you lost that first fight, if the love would have been there? Or were you just like the competition, beating the shit out of somebody, pent up <laughs> anger, whatever? Was that kind of like, hey, man, this is the, the niche for me. Like, yes, I love this shit right away. Well, when I started to like learn stuff, I was like, this, this is what I should have been doing. Like yeah, all, you know, there's parents that put their kids in like Taekwondo or karate or anything like that. Like yeah. I threw my very first punch at 19 years old, not ever knowing anything about the sport or martial arts. I didn't even know what martial arts was. Yeah. That was like my very first time. So if I would have lost, I think I probably, <laughs> I probably would have not been yeah. as in love with it. I probably would, you know, my confidence would have went down into the toilet. Mm-hmm. Um, but once I got that first bite under my belt, I'm like, this is what I should have been doing. This is the, when they say, find your passion and it'll never feel like a day of work again. I'm like, this is what that's, I'm passionate awesome. about. This is, and you know, it, it, it literally engulfed my entire life. Literally. Mm-hmm. Like I remember going on road trips all the time. Every weekend I was going on a road trip, going to Canada, going to, you know, Oregon, going to mm-hmm. Idaho, going all these places in the Pacific Northwest, going to fight cards and, and you know, watching fights all the time. So it literally, it, it completely took over my life. Well, it, it's a high level sport. And, it, you know, obviously I was a professional athlete and right. you understand that now, but it has to be your main focus. Right. It, you can't half-ass it, no matter how good, talented, natural, like you mentioned you are you have to be all in completely. Um, so yeah, that's very interesting that it just automatically like clicked for you. And now you're in a chance for the title fight, which we'll talk down later, the yeah. road. but that's crazy how the world works like that. Like one opportunity. What if you didn't, you know, you don't decide to go to that cardio kickboxing class. Right. And like I said, what if you lose yeah. that first fight and then, you know, that's domino effect is what I'm saying. So right. next, uh, let's segue into ultimate fighter 18. Yeah. Okay. So it's documented and it's, Today's guest is Chris Haynes, Yahoo Sports senior writer, TNT sideline reporter. So, us when we grew up, Sunday morning NBA games were the big thing. Like yeah. those were the big. Yeah, like that's the best. That was the. You know, John Tesh, Hold on, recorded that at a dinner. Okay, he came up with that theme song. It was John Tesh. 99% sure. Uh, At a dinner, he called his own home phone and sang it so he wouldn't forget it. Wow. And then... That was it. Yes. Okay, anyway, keep going. Wow. Yes. NBC. Yes, the best. I love when Houston, when they do it in the, in, uh, at the warm-ups. With yeah, the minute they Because all the old guys were like, fuck yeah. Like, I was the same way. Grew up. Oh, that man. shit came on. It was Bulls, Phoenix, Knicks, Houston, Knicks. Knicks you know, man. and you're just like, man, fuck yeah. But anyway, keep going. Sorry. So I grew up, and that that was like, wow, 
this is the NBA. Mm-hmm. Wow. Wow, that that was just big. Never in my wildest dreams did I ever imagine that I would be part of that. Part of that. That's right? fucking awesome, man. That really like, is. It, it really so like cool. I swear to God, Adam, like I thought about that yesterday because that was the first time I did sidelines in a while. It was mm-hmm. last last night. Um and I was like, man, I'm a part of this shit. Like, yeah. It's, it's part of the experience. It's unbelievable. It's so cool, man. That's awesome. Like, for real. Man, it, it like, man, I don't I don't take none of this for granted, man. Like, mm. That's awesome. Like, uh, for real, you're good at it. Um, you know, I want to cover one more topic, and it has to do with the sideline and everything. And you mentioned a little bit earlier about social media. So talking about young writers or people trying to get – to where you're at and you just went over your whole story and it's nothing but grind building relationships making if you stay ready you don't have to get ready all that shit like you understand that how much is like nowadays your total brand instead of just being like a columnist matters because you've talked about value everything you do you say it added value to your brand how much do you think like do you have to be multifaceted if you want to make it in this game where chris is on undisputed Chris can uh, break the scoop with LeBron. Chris mm-hmm. can do TNT. He can obviously write. How much do you think that stuff matters, or can you survive just being like a really good writer and getting on with a good, you know, the whatever publication? So I'll say this. Okay. With social media now, be able to create your own blogs, a YouTube channel. There are other avenues in which you can get, you know, have your work be seen okay. and be discovered. But I, I still think for the majority of journalists i didn't i wanted to be you know when i when i first got in it when i first got that job from mm-hmm. portland that's all i want to do is be a beat writer i made it you see where i you know I, you know a little bit where i came from yeah. like i made it yeah i made it in life that was it mm-hmm. then over over the years other opportunities were presented to me like i really didn't i wanted to become a national that was another thing but i didn't really you were Brand. your main goal wasn't that from the beginning to seek out yeah to brand. seek out okay. branding to seek out being a TNT reporter or being on a debate show with Skip and Shannon mm-hmm. those opportunities presented themselves and I did it people like it and I continue to do it this is what I will say people always come up hey I want to be Stephen A I want to be Skip Bayless mm-hmm. and, but they don't know Stephen A for like twenty years just a writer was a writer yeah he's just a writer skip bayless 30 years just a writer yeah so all these people unless you're an athlete Mm -hmm. but mostly all of these people you see on tv journalist background because you have to have that credibility first yeah because Stephen A. always say that he'll he all when he gets mad he'll bring up I did I worked here yeah. at the you know he always <laughs> bring I worked <laughs> I worked here in Louisville <laughs> I did this and that yeah. blah 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 yeah, and it's right but you got to build some so people want to just get on YouTube and have a take everybody can have a take but it's not a Good credible point. take because you ain't been around you yeah. ain't been in locker rooms nobody knows you yeah. players don't know you you don't have any sources yeah. so once you establish yourself as a journalist. In which Stephen A. did, Skip Bayless did. Now you can feel however way you want to feel about them now, mm-hmm. but they put in the work before well, they grinded. To, yeah, to get yeah. to that point. And same way with myself. Yeah, I didn't seek those things, but my, it was my credibility and my work that got me in the doors of of other avenues. So I would tell people. Now look, we're seeing, like I said, we're seeing YouTube sensations and 
people on TikTok create a brand for themselves. Yeah, but that, that that's not long lasting, in my opinion. I, I don't I don't think so. I think I think there has to be something of substance. Yes, I I, I think you you need to if you want to be in the media in this profession. I think it would bode well for you to really take this um, take this seriously and get in the trenches. And when I mean get in the trenches, that you know um, you know get to become you know journalism one on one. Yeah. Find out what it, what it's about. Mm-hmm. Can I tell you about social media real quick? Yeah, go ahead, man. This bothers me. This really bothers me. So, the way we grew up out of it, and that's funny. We keep talking about we don't we we're not that guy that, uh, that <laughs> get, get off, off my line guy. But I guess we <laughs> guess we're getting to that point, man. I'm sounding more like it. But the the way we were brought up and raised, man. If you talk, if you were going to talk shit to somebody. You understood that there were consequences. consequences, and you better be ready to back it up. You better be ready to back it up. And what social media has done, because at first I was like, these the, the, the younger generation don't understand that because mm-hmm. they just were raised in social media, and so they can just spout off and say whatever they yeah. want, and no accountability. Yeah. But then I was like, nah, because I start looking at some of my tweets, and so I'm gonna give you a little insight. So. I did not vote. Julius Randle got 98 of 100 first place votes for most improved yeah. player. I didn't have him on, on my ballot. Okay. And look, I see you, I see you Winston, yeah, and you, your face. I didn't have him on my ballot. Okay. Now, I stand by my vote. The reason I didn't have him on my ballot, he averaged 24 and 9 this year. His second best year was two years ago, 21 and 6. Oh, to me, I seen this already. Yeah. He, he's done this. Is he a little bit better? Yes, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Is he most improved? Uh, I, I tend to look at, and it's all about, I guess, how you evaluate it. But yeah. I tend to look at who took that big jump from somebody average eight, yeah, to eighteen. You're like a fringe rotation to yeah, like, fringe, yeah, like a rotation I guy had, now. I had Jeremy Grant. As my number oh, one. Okay. I had Jeremy Grant. I had Michael Porter Jr. too. And I had Chris Boucher okay. in Toronto. Uh, I believe Julius Randle averaged 23 times in his career. Yeah. Uh, that's a good point. I didn't even think of it like that. Like, uh, most improved. I, he has a better team. He has a better coach. Uh-huh. <laughs> you know, the coaches, he's he's up there coach of the year. Yeah, yeah. Tibbs, yeah, absolutely. So. No question. I don't. And so, anyway, so with that, I got a whole bunch of people Dogging me. I mean, dogging is being disrespectful. You bitch. You all, you know, yeah, all that like type the, of stuff. The, the dumb and, shit. And, and, they're, and they're men that's older than us. Yeah. I hate that shit. And I'm like, and so I, I went back to, I, I, I don't respond. I don't do that. But I did on this one on Instagram. I responded. I said, um, listen, sir. I said, um, you can, you know, have a problem with my vote. Mm-hmm. But I said, as a man, and I capitalized man, I said, as a man, don't you think if you would have said that to another man in their face, don't you think there would be consequences behind this? Yeah. I said, now, as a man, I'm coming to you to tell you that I appreciate you looking at my ballot. But as a man, please refrain from doing that because, you know, let's let, let's let's. And he hit me back and he was like, oh, yeah, I'm sorry. I, I didn't do that. Yeah, blah, blah, blah. Like, yeah. But the, the thing to, is, we, we got to stop this social media. Like as men. Grown ass men, yeah. Well, we don't do anything on social. Don't say anything on social media that you wouldn't do 
publicly in front of that individual's face. Do you hate the, I do, is the pylon shit that we have nowadays to, you know, like it was talking about LeBron earlier and that's kind of what I was referring to, like, I think people just sometimes hate them just because it's fun to pile on. Like and that's, people, yeah. and, and, and that's part of it too. It's people like, you know, you, you pussy or whatever. And then it happened. It would happen to me, Chris mm-hmm. guys would give me shit. You bum bust, whatever. And then I know for a fact, I'd see him at the bar. Hey man, can I have a picture with you? All the time. Those hey man, they've never, what's up, man? they've never came into your face. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. And you're like, I know what you've said about yeah. me. And like, you know, like you weren't even honorable mention in high school, man. Shut your fucking mouth. And that's why but I'm not going to say that. Exactly. Exactly. You can't. You can't say that. Can't say that. You can't say it. And, and that's why Adam. Like sometimes I'll I'll hop in their DMs after I've seen them being disrespectful, mm-hmm. and I'll be like, "Hey, bro, thanks for um checking me out." And then they'll respond back. Oh, oh I can't yes. believe! I can't believe you <laughs> you responded back. Like I got and that's <laughs> and Adam. That goes to my point. Uh, Remember, no, I was telling right. you about earlier that like they don't look at. You're a public figure. Mm-hmm. Public figures, they don't look as you as human, human beings. beings. No, that's a good point. Because they don't see you. They, mm-hmm. You know, you're not human beings to them. So when you respond back to them, like, they, to, to, to them, they're just shooting something out you. They don't even think you're going to see it. Yeah. And they don't think, you know what I mean? Like, that's, yeah. that's, that's, so they have to understand. So that's, that's my point when I came, stepped into this profession that is that you guys have families. You guys are dealing with things in life other than basketball. Absolutely. You know, and so I, I wanted to be cognitive of that. Of that you and are. And also be sensitive yeah. to that. And 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 me coming and just not knowing what you're going through, just shoving a mic in your face is not going to be helpful for me. Yeah. Sure, you know, well, like I you. said, and when I first met you, I got a special guest here. Um, 23 points a game at Gonzaga Prep his senior year. 56% field goal shooter. His career in high school, 264 steals, 295 assists, 1983-84 WCC Player of the Year. We all know the NBA stuff. John Stockton, <laughs> I appreciate you coming on. How you My doing? Pleasure. Good to see you, Mo. Yeah, it's been a, a – no, we've seen each other during COVID and stuff, but, uh, yeah, it's good to see you and get to talk and, and sit down a little bit. Uh, when did the pro prospect of you actually playing pro, like, become a reality for you? Like, when did you you know, like, I could be a pro? Probably draft day. Really? <laughs> it was really slow. I, I know people <laughs> don't realize that, but um, my senior year, two of our, I wasn't the best player on our team, and, and two of our best players uh, with little pedigree at that time and, and had averages and all this stuff got hurt. Um, one broke his fibula, and one broke, and that was Bryce McPhee, the other one, Jason Van Ort, blew his ACL, and so... We were down. We were down to six guys. Mm-hmm. We recruited a, a intramural guy to play with us. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> so um, there wasn't much opportunity. And then we played in the Far West Classic. I had a good tournament, and then um, had a good season. Even though we didn't win the league, um, we kind of made a valiant effort. We you know, yeah. down guys. We were in the hunt till the last weekend, etc. And so, um, and as you mentioned, I was awarded MVP of the league, which is w- w- rare for fourth place finish or whatever the heck we were. Yeah. Got invited to one tournament. I got invited to Portsmouth, which we had to pay my own way for. I got invited to Chicago, a postseason tournament. Um, camp, yeah. Camp. They, yep. yep. Didn't get invited to any anything. We kind of had to work our way onto them. And then uh, the biggest break I got was uh, Final Four was in Seattle that year. Uh, I think it was uh, Houston with Five Slam and Jam. I played, mm-hmm. played Georgetown. Anyway, they were um, they do an all-star game during the course of that Final Four, and I wasn't invited. 
but a guy named Ricky Ross from Tulsa didn't uh, didn't want to risk his draft status. So he backed out at the last minute, and they said, "Oh, who do we have? Who do we have?" Who's close? Yeah, yeah. who's close? Can you get over? Can you get over here in an hour and a half? And I'm there. So I went there, played well in that. Bobby Knight was there uh, watching that game, uh, commentating on it. And when I returned home from that weekend, I had an invitation to the Olympic trials. Oh, there you go. And all of a sudden, you can see that the 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 things just kind of started falling into place. Now the Olympic trials uh, was brutal. Um, and it played pretty decently, I'd mm-hmm. say. And then all of a sudden, somebody said, hey, you might get drafted. I went, what? So until that time, there was never even a thought that it could happen. You were just you were just thinking of being a four-year player? and Right. What did you, ma- you major in real quick? Business. Business, yep. yeah. What dorms did you stay in? I didn't. You didn't? Oh, no. you were home the whole time? I, I, was, well, I grew up on camp. I literally walked to school every day. I was yeah. closer than I was to my grade school. <laughs> <laughs> so... You literally had no clue that you thought you were going to be an NBA player until no, I, until that halfway through your senior season, basically, or your senior year. Yeah, Dan Fitzgerald, <clears throat> the athletic director and my coach who recruited me, he came up to me after the Far West Classic mm-hmm. and said, hey, you're right now you're a uh, projected fourth-round draft choice, which I said, wow, this they don't even have that anymore. Yeah, it's only two now. Yeah, I said, well, that's awesome. But everybody knew fourth-round draft choices don't have a chance to play in the NBA. Mm-hmm. So uh, I thought that was pretty cool. But that was it. Wow. In fact, when he recruited me, his, his, his sales pitch to me was, look, if you had any chance ever of being in the NBA, you wouldn't be talking to me now. I mean, that was <laughs> that his Fitzy? Yeah, that was Fitz. So. Uh, rest in peace, Coach Fitz. <laughs> I, peace. I love Coach Fitz. He, was, uh, he used to do uh, the high school tournaments for us. And uh, I was ball boy when he was still coaching in 95. And yeah, I learned a lot of cuss words from Coach uh, <laughs> Fitz. His favorite line was, "If a guy was he would do shooting drills in front of the whole camp. If a guy was shooting shitty, he goes go play soccer. You score once a month. You're the leading scorer of the league." So, he used to take kids and put them against the wall, and he'd be, he'd do this passing drill and be like, "This is how hard you got to throw it." And he would just throw it as hard as you can right in the kid's back. And I'm thinking now, and I'm like, dude, guys would get sued out of the gym like if you did those and those. Um, those type of drills, uh, you know, nowadays, but, uh, coach Fitz was great. Um, so yeah, that's, I still can't really believe that. I, I believe you, uh, John, obviously, but, uh, I can't believe that you just weren't considered an NBA like player until like the back half of your senior year. It's crazy. Well, I averaged what you were twenty twenty one, I think in your senior year, right? Well, that was senior year, Yeah, but in a league that wasn't appreciated, um, at all. I mean, mm-hmm. never on TV, never anything. Uh, my averages, there was nothing about me the year before that would statistically that would say, Hey, take a look at this guy, put yeah. this on your watch list. So I was on no watch lists or anything. And, and it's not like today it was, you know, a couple paper publications that came out. It wasn't. Yeah, on. no, exactly. Like you could, you could view players so much easier yeah. now, obviously everybody's on TV. You could get the, the Divix and all that stuff. And, but, uh, okay. So you get drafted number 16th by Utah. <clears throat> Frank Layden was your coach. Um, what was it like first going into that camp? Like, what was your mindset? Like coming in the league, were you still like, Hey, I might not even make this team in your first round draft pick. Like, were you, I mean, well, that's a good question. I, 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 first of all, I held out, um, the minimum salary, I think in the NBA at that time was $75,000 a year. Mm-hmm. And, um, I thought as a, you know, if I would have played for nothing, as all of us would say that at yeah. some point in time, I would have played for absolutely nothing. And yet you drafted me 16th. So that's first round. So that's that warrants something. So they held they held tight on that all the way through summer league, all the way through uh, what they called it rookie camp at the mm-hmm. time. And they said, no, that's what you're getting. 
And, and I said, well, no, we're not, we're not signing for that. And uh, that's, you know, advice of your agent and all that stuff. Mm -hmm. And uh, so I sat down with Jeff Condell in the training room with Steve DeLong one day. And I said, this was while well, rookie camps going on. And he said, and said, I don't think I'm, I think I missed the window. Frank Layden got on ESPN that had just started and said his replacement's in camp right now. Oh, uh-oh. It was awful. It was awful. <laughs> so I said, I think I missed the window. I blew it. Yeah. So a uh, couple of days later, I get a phone call that they were offering $80,000. I said, I'll take Did it. Did you take it just yep. 5000 yep. bucks? There you go. I for 5000 bucks. That's awesome. Uh, do you, I heard a story, John. Tell me if this is true. Did you have an agent throughout your career, like the back half of your career at all, or did you just use like a contract lawyer? Well, kind of, I did, I did my own agent work. I yeah. Guess. So you um, negotiated all your deals? Not all of them. Uh, f probably my third one on. Yeah. Was that, well, what was that like? Like, cause you had a good relationship with Larry Miller, right? Correct. Correct. Yeah. yeah. And so like, you know, just from a business aspect and like thinking of today's negotiations, I just kind of want you to, if you can, uh, walk us through that. Like, did you say, Hey, this is what my market is. I know where I'm, what I'm worth. I mean, what, how is that like negotiating your own deals? I just think it's fascinating. Well, again, probably a lot more goes into it than you want to hear about, but first couple contracts, I was just glad to have them and, and, and didn't change anything. But mm -hmm. then, but now I'm, now I'm a starter and your all-star games and yeah, those mm -hmm. things are starting to appear and, and I'm not even getting years guaranteed there. You know, that was kind of a standard is this, if once you kind of prove yourself, then instead of a one-year deal with a bunch of uh, incentives, or, incentives something. or something, you get a five- or six-year deal, and none of those were happening. So what I did was I, I hired a high, very high-profile agent, David Falk. Again, a good guy at the time. He was my, probably the most successful agent in the league. Mm -hmm. and he took the job, and um, I think <clears throat> we were negotiating throughout that, that last contract year, and um, I heard in the newspaper that I said, look, I'll play, I want to play somewhere else. <laughs> and that's agents talking. That's them doing their yeah, job. Yeah, you got to do their. But the moment I heard that, I said, "No, this is not the way. This is going to work for me. I, I don't want people to think that I would say that. I mm -hmm. would never say that." And um, so I, I told David, I said, <clears throat> "Thank you, but but I'm a, I'm going to just go my own way on this." So he stepped back. I, I went in, and met Larry Miller in his office one day, and um, he said, "What do you think you're worth? Write it down on a piece of paper." I did it. He wrote on this piece of paper <laughs> and we wrote the same number. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. So, um, again, I don't know if I'd advise that for everybody. Yeah. Um, you don't, not everybody gets to deal with Larry Miller, but, uh, he's fair and honest and yeah, there we go. Well, uh, you know, like I said, I think it's fascinating just to go in there and kind of. The Perimeter with Adam Morrison is brought to you in partnership with Speak Studios and Mercedes of Spokane.